1: and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to Kudzu Vine for March 12, 2023. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome, Catherine Smith.
2: Greetings from Atlanta.
3: And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir.
1: All right, tonight we have an exciting show. And uh, right off the bat, we're not waiting 20 minutes into the show, we're going to lead straight away into one of our most frequent and favorite guests, a DNC member, former uh, city councilwoman from Rome, Wendy Davis. Welcome back to the Kudzu Vine. Wendy.
4: Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to be with y'all. And I wish it was from sunny Rome, Georgia, but it's pretty yucky today.
1: (laughs) Yeah, pretty miserable. Uh, um, but, yeah, we're just glad to have you back. And I tell you, I'm going to set this up, even though Tim's going to be the one that talks, ask about this in a minute, is we keep talking about the primary calendar, and we allude to it. We never get deep into it. And I said, who better that understands this process uh, is would be Wendy? And so we said, let's get Wendy on sooner than later, get you on and really go into this. And we will in a minute with Tim. Um, so that was – we really had a dedicated reason to get you in on that. We're also going to ask you about the convention and, and uh, you know, where they might pick that to be. Uh, one city we really uh, are really, really excited about, uh, and Catherine will ask you about that. But I'm going to start out with, Wendy, because we have not had you on since the elections in Georgia. And, of course, of course, we have to have two election days. We can't get it done in one anymore. We always have to have um, overtime. Um but I was just going to ask you about that. Right off the bat, Georgia, you know, in 2020, uh, we have made such progress, win in the presidential race, win in the two Senate seats, and then we had uh, the 2022 elections. Any seat that was kind of winnable for us, we won in Congress. And then the Senate race, we win that again. We win it on the first election, just don't get the 50%. Leading and vote getter, and then Raphael Warnock wins the runoff, you know, fairly convincingly, um, considered to have been in a runoff. And so we're making all these incredible gains four, four or five straight elections. Democrats have won statewide at the federal level, but in the statewide races that are governor on down throughout the constitutional offices in Georgia, we have a lot of them. We made no real progress. Um, what do you think the um, the dynamic is there where we do so well on the federal offices lately, and it doesn't translate into constitutional state wins?
4: Well, um, not going back to 2020, but just looking at 2022, um, I, I think it has an enormous amount to do with the power of incumbency, right, Um you know you've seen it all over the country, and you know it feels like through eons of time right? the the incumbents are hard to beat and uh, we uh we had a, a situation where um, you know remarkably uh, you know both all all the pieces at the top of our ticket were very well funded Republicans were very well funded so there was there weren't like enormous gaps there in other words, there weren't an opportunity for one candidate to just own the airwaves and the other person to be sort of floundering right um, so i think I think you really chalk it up to the power of incumbency and um, and also you know what the candidates were like uh, against the incumbent i think um, I think the Senate race and the runoff ended up being a little less competitive I think frankly than all of us expected um, because the 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 tug against Uh, Herschel Walker, you know, scandal after scandal after scandal after, you know, baggage, 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 uh, really is what I think widened that margin. Um, And then in the governor's race, I mean, we have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Governor Kemp, you know, ran a great campaign and somehow managed to thread the needle of not seeming like a Trump guy without alienate the Trump people. It was a you know, a strange dance, but we managed to to somehow make it work. And then, of course, uh, you know, down-ballot races for statewide races, again, it's it's partially the power of incumbency and partially the power of um, nobody really pays attention to those races. So it ends up being, you know, what color jersey are you wearing?
1: Yeah, and I didn't probably prompt you with this, but I think we've discussed it in the past. I know we've discussed it on the show, the three of us. Brian Kemp um, in in 2018 he runs a primary campaign. He didn't really channel Donald Trump. He channeled Yosemite Sam, like the most backward, <laughs> you know, like every negative stereotype of of a southern, um, you know, southerner. We'll just say, you know, chasing down people in our pickup truck and blowing things up and everything else. And yet he governs where he tries to recruit. Um, electric car factories and, and is okay with government employees getting raises and and he served in a different way than he campaigned in that campaign um, and of course famously you know he and Brad Raffensperger didn't just completely game the system for Donald Trump which I mean I think we have to be a bit thankful for um, even though we're Democrats well, any idea why Brian Kemp did not and, and really fortunately. Uh, keep, you know, being that person that he ran in in the Republican primary.
4: The the question is, why didn't he keep being Yosemite Sam? Yeah, why didn't he keep
1: doing that? Because, well, you know, Ron DeSantis <laughs> probably didn't run that way, run that far right in 2018, and he's been far worse. We could pick other Republicans. Glenn Youngkin ran a far more moderate campaign and became more conservative. Um Brian right. Kemp ran I, I mean,
0: I, incredibly
1: conservative. I, I he probably couldn't govern that conservative, and then it's been moderate on a few issues. Let's just you know, not a bunch, but a few. The, the electric car uh, uh, factories and you know, teacher raises and, and government
4: employee raises. What? Yeah, I think I think Brian, uh, the governor, got you know, got more comfortable being himself. Right. I, I think the Yosemite Sam was the act, and uh, and. And he finally realized that being himself was okay. He could make it work. And um, I, I, I find it troubling because that makes him very vulnerable,
0: <laughs>
4: you know. So um, I don't know if that's a sexy answer, but that's what I got. No. Well,
1: and, and the reason I'm not afraid to ask those questions, that I'm a Democrat, I like the, to be, you know, work in honesty. Because that's what the voters hopefully are going to work in is more honesty, and they're going to see what they see. Um, One final question. Okay, you mentioned the power of incumbency, and I completely agree. Um, Obviously, it being a mid-year where the Republicans um, were the out party at the national level, I hope uh, they're the out party in 2026. But yet a lot of these Republicans are going to run again as incumbents. How do Democrats make 2026 different? um when they're not the incumbent party again and they're challenging for all these statewide offices
4: well i'm so first of all that's so far down the road i don't think any of us have a a a crystal ball to tell us you know what the issues will will be there or how the dynamics of 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 the economy will will change um you know it's going to be uphill uh, I think we'll have some demographic factors that continue to move in our favor. Um, we always um, can uh, have some certainty that the Republican primary, you know, at, in this day and age might be a little nastier than our primaries, um, but but we also have the chance to have some, you know, wild, again, six and seven people running for, for some of these slots, um, which doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get ugly, but it means we're going to lose a lot of people from our bench. So it's it's too far away for me to make any clear predictions, but it's, you know, uh, Georgia's going to be a battleground state and hopefully very competitive until we just swing the pendulum all the way to our side and it becomes just a completely blue state again.
1: Yes. I mean, we'll just have to say, and you're right, 2024 is first. And so the good news (laughs) Catherine and Tim both have questions about 2024. I had the long-range stuff. So I'm going to pass it to Catherine then to Tim for questions mainly focused on 2024. Catherine?
4: Hey, Wendy's friend. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm doing a little better these days. Catherine, thank you for asking.
2: Um, so we to, I want we wanted to talk about the... Possibility of uh, well the location for the DNC convention. There's all kinds of rumors. There's been quite a bit of talk about Atlanta. Um, what do you think that what, what's the timeline on when those announcements are going to be made, and what makes Atlanta
4: so popular? Well, um, so it's it's not really a rumor about Atlanta or the convention. The you know there's actually a very uh, intensive process of uh, analyzing logistics and the bid cities putting their you know, best feet forward, but also digging into the details of locations of hotel rooms and capacity for the big arenas and such. And uh, what started out, I think it was something like 10 cities were in the bidding process. Uh, the DNC has whittled that list down to just three cities, um, Atlanta, New York, and Chicago. And um, and I, frankly, a lot of us thought that at the DNC meeting in February that the decision might be announced then. Um, one might think that the DNC members get to vote on uh, such a matter, but we don't. Um, <laughs> it is up, up <laughs> to the president. Uh, and, and other times it's up of to the president, pressure, you know, via the chairman, but it's the chairman's not going to do what the president doesn't want him to do. Um, now, again, given the factor that that the finalists have all you know passed muster in terms of logistics and capabilities um to me the the thing that I think kept it from happening in February was that uh, there were some things still up in the air in uh some of these cities um predominantly in Chicago, you have this mayor's race, which Back in February, it didn't seem certain whether the incumbent mayor would get reelected. And we, of course, saw last week that she um, didn't even make the runoff. Um, and now you have two people in the runoff that uh, I think one um, is being called maybe not a Democrat by a lot of people, and the other one is, is clearly a, a progressive Democrat. Um, so one of the two of them will win in, uh, in the April runoff. Um, so you have a, a little bit of uncertainty Uh, Illinois' strength, of course, is that uh, their governor has pretty much guaranteed that the convention uh, won't lose money, which some of the conventions have. Um, And since he's, um, I don't know if he's a billionaire, he's certainly a multimillionaire, his his guarantee about money um, has a lot of confidence behind it. Um, New York, I am um, a little bit puzzled buy because the mayor of New York seems to have earlier this year decided to pick a fight with President Biden about immigration. So I don't know if that'll have an impact on their bid. My concern just as a DNC member who, you know, my first and foremost goal is to represent Georgia Democrats, in my mind, to the national party. um, I feel like New York is just nothing but expensive and even harder for regular people who would be delegates to to be able to afford to go to that, that's my biggest concern about New York. And, of course, we all, all of us on the Georgia, in the Georgia delegation, of course, think Atlanta is the best best place to come um, instead of just being a solidly blue state, which it's always nice to, you know, hang out with your friends. Uh, we are indeed a battleground state, and I think it makes an important, important statement for the party uh, to come south and to, to boost our strength here um by having the convention here in Atlanta. I
2: agree with you 100%. I think that those are all really good points. Um, I yeah, I am always surprised um when New York is at the top of the list of something like for something like this because it is so expensive and uh and and somewhat
4: difficult to get around in uh, for people who aren't familiar with it. So, right. Well, it's the, um, the really interesting thing about our logistics, if you don't mind me jumping over to that, is oh, no, um, that's fine. Ma- many of you may remember the last time Atlanta hosted the convention was in 1988 and um and there was a lot of criticism of the arena at the time of being too small and it really limited the number of people who could be inside uh the building because of the the small size. Obviously now and, David, you might be able to give us the numbers better, but obviously we have an arena that is uh, very large uh, and has the capacity to not only hold all the delegates, delegates but also all those uh, extra people who sometimes enjoy being uh, inside the arena for these uh, special, four special nights. So, um, yeah. so we've solved that problem. And interestingly, um, in talking to our bid committee, Um, They have secured commitments from hotel rooms um, in this downtown Atlanta where all of the delegates could be housed uh, within walking distance of the arena, Uh, even though, you know, Marta's very accessible, makes that arena very accessible from a lot of points uh, in the city. But And, of course, when they said walking distance, I was like, okay, you mean walking distance for, like, people who hike and stuff or – and it, it really was within, like, a half a mile, or it might have been a mile, uh, of the arena. Yeah, there's a so lot, lot of hotels
3: yeah. downtown.
1: Let, let me so – I will you jump in here,
3: Wendy, since you, yep.
1: since you mentioned that, because I, I kind of had a question, but it sounds like I'm the one with the numbers. Um, you know, the old Omni held about 16000 for basketball, no idea what it held for a DNC convention. The current state farm arena holds a little over 20. I don't think it's 22, so it's 4,000 seats bigger apples-to-apples for basketball. But then I think one thing that is interesting about Atlanta is Atlanta has Mercedes-Benz Stadium right next door. It's actually a facility that can be closed, seats 72,000 in Houston. The Republicans in 88 use the Astrodome, so using dome stadiums is not out of the question. New York has a football stadium that's open air across the river in New Jersey and then Soldier Field, they can't say enough bad things about it and they're trying to get out of there uh, or either put a roof on it or everything else, and that's not going to be done. How much of a selling point can we make Mercedes-Benz Stadium?
4: Uh, Again, I think our our logistics in that regard are fantastic. Um, The the downside um, and the criticism that – that we have of course is that we're a, a right to work state and of of all those wonderful hotels and you know plethora of mm-hmm. hotel rooms downtown only two of our hotels are union hotels whereas in new york there are something like 45 union hotels and uh and so that is a a serious problem that of uh, the national labor leadership has very clearly brought to the president's attention and so um and frankly, it's something that has made me nervous about our bid. And um, but we we should um, they can't wait much longer uh, about making this decision. Um, I think at this point, um, it's, you know, the finally coming down to cases and the, the president figuring out, you know, how this messes with his whatever his plans are, to it, uh, his official reelection campaign. So it may be that he goes to that. City into that spot to to announce or not? I mean, that's just pure speculation on my part. But it should happen soon because there's a lot that has to get done uh, before next summer.
1: Catherine, I'm going to completely it, tag back out to you, Wendy, just to call on me. Sorry, I had to answer for our guest, Catherine. Back to you. <laughs> oh, that's
2: fine.
4: <laughs> no, well, just it's one, one quick a discussion. Thing, so it's I, fine. I didn't. Uh, I didn't realize it until I just did a little poking around for before the call just to you know bone up on a couple of my facts uh and i hadn't realized that last year the republicans had already picked their convention location and a little bit interestingly it's going to be in milwaukee wisconsin where we had planned to be in 2020 before the pandemic made it a virtual convention oh uh uh-huh interesting
2: Well, I hope I hope it comes here. It would be fun to have everybody here, but I can completely understand why they might end up in Chicago or New York. I mean, all three good choices, but we just like we they need some southern hospitality from us. So, and it's just coming up so fast; like it's just amazing to me how how quickly these things move. So, thank you so much for all that information. Wendy, and now I'm going to pass it off to Tim for some more stuff.
3: Good evening, Wendy. How are you?
4: Doing well, sir. How about yourself?
3: Doing well, thanks. Um, I want to jump in front of the conventions and go back to the nominating process itself. As you know, the um, parties made a lot of news. Uh, I think largely driven by the president, Um, the fact that they would like to change the order of primary states on the calendar at the front end of it. Um, And I want to ask you right out of the gate, do you think it's a good idea? To place South Carolina in front of New Hampshire on the Democratic primary calendar, and if so, why or why not?
4: Oh, that's an interesting way to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think that um, I think that the president. Um, in making that choice what is trying to make a point about the importance of uh, the Democratic voters in South Carolina. Obviously uh, there are a lot of people who point to the fact that South Carolina is not a competitive state for the November election Um, but the South Carolina primary electorate is is overwhelmingly African American and African American women um, are the are the backbone of both that primary and of our party, and uh, and so I think it is a is a hat tip to the importance of that. I I think many of you may remember that in the in the last cycle uh, there were a lot of candidates who were sort of getting that national buzz and had that that sort of. Uh, you know, that progressive buzz that all of us are looking for in candidates. Um, But some of those candidates um, weren't able to connect with African-American voters. And we are not likely uh, to be successful in getting our nominee elected in November if they can't build strong relationships in the African-American community. So I think instead of that test being several weeks down down the road, um, moving that test to the front end of the calendar, I think there there's a lot of merit to that. Now mm-hmm. there's people in New Hampshire who won't like me for saying that, um, and, and they keep leaning on this, this law that they have that says they have to, by golly, by gum, have to have the first uh, primary election, and my answer to that is says who, right? Like any mm-hmm. state can pass a law that says we have to be first and most important. Um, I think the the revised Democratic calendar of putting New Hampshire and Nevada uh, three days after South Carolina. I think that gives us a, a jam-packed week, right? And mm-hmm. you will have candidates who, um, if if they don't have the resources to to hit all three hard. Um, that That's an interesting dynamic to pick. The electorates in South Carolina, New Hampshire, and Nevada are all important electorates for our party, yeah. but also very different from each other. And, yeah, uh, me, and so I think that shows a, a different sets of skills in each one, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah. Let me play devil's advocate here for a moment, though. Let's just look at 2024 and mm-hmm. – Let's look at the state of New Hampshire. Now, in 2024, the president's main competition is going to be Mary Ann Williamson. Uh, probably won't need a big field test in South Carolina on that matchup. That being said, New Hampshire's state motto is live free or die. And they constantly, constantly, constantly drumbeat, first in the nation, first in the nation, law or not, first in the nation. And we need that four electoral votes. The the president only won New Hampshire by about four points. Um, would that be a decision perhaps that's better made a little... Later on, after the 2024 election, because I, I, maybe I'm wrong, Wendy, and and you 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 might can correct me on it, but I, I'm very afraid that this one decision would cost us that state right out of the gate in the general election. Do you think so?
4: Um, I I don't think just that sort of pride element. Um, it would would doom our our nominee in November? I just mm-hmm. I mean I have to think that there are so many more issues that are so much more relevant to uh, you know the conditions for people's families <laughs> and our communities mm-hmm. and our economy and our way of life um, that that I would like to think that that's uh, not going to doom it. But um, but you can. they may they, they may hold a grudge and and obviously the 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 DNC members from New Hampshire very strongly made that argument, right, that we can't afford mm-hmm. to lose New Hampshire and South Carolina is meaningless, they said. Um and I just I I, I see I see that that's a risk. Um but mm-hmm. I also see that there is a a benefit to the party long term to come up with a new system, right? Like I am you know, tickled that Iowa is out of the mix myself mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, for a lot of different reasons. Right. Uh, I think, yeah. I think if we would just say, well, we've always done it this way, we have to keep doing this, it this way. The reality is we haven't always done it this way. Uh, we, it's smart of us to evaluate uh, every cycle and, and make sure we're making the strongest decisions for the, the, the health of the party and the opportunity to select a, a nominee who's going to be most successful in November, and what's the best way to find that? What is the best way to winnow that winnow that down?
3: Okay, well, uh, I'm going to step back from the ledge that I was about to cast myself off of, oh, and go ahead. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> but, but because the state of Georgia entered this conversation to, obviously, uh, the Democratic Party would like to move move Georgia up. And there we run into the problem that the state legislature, the governor, and all the constitutional officers in this state are Republicans, and they are just saying, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, we set the date, and that's that. There will be one presidential primary, and and that's that. What happens when you run into that sort of opposition? The national so, party, I mean, with the state.
4: Sure. So, um, so let's just take a half a step back. So, first of uh-huh. all, it is it is solely on the Secretary of State of Georgia to set the calendar. Mm-hmm. Whether mm-hmm. that's. Good, bad, or just awful, that's the reality. Now, that mm-hmm. Secretary of State has has shown uh, sometimes a willingness to not do everything other Republican leaders say, right? So it, it's it, he's not just a go-along-to-get-along guy, but you would think that he's not going to pick a fight with a very popular governor in that regard, right? Mm-hmm. So the right. other thing is what his office has said and what he has reiterated is, he, he's very clear that he only wants one presidential primary. He's not going right. to spend taxpayer money to conduct a Democratic one one time and a Republican one another date. But And then the other caveat, which you can read a couple different ways, he says he is not going to hold a primary on a date that loses um, delegates for either party. And so Mm -hmm. you would go, well, the way it is now, that would lose Republican votes, um, Republican delegates, if he moved it up to February 13th, as the Democrats would like for it to happen. The national Democrats would like to do, and we'd we'd be happy to go along with that. Um, But we're forgetting that the Republicans could still adjust their calendar. You know, they don't have Mm -hmm. to stick with what they decided last year. um, And. And my feeling is that the Republican leaders in Georgia, particularly the governor and the secretary of state, ought to see that moving Georgia forward in the conversation, in the decision-making, brings more, not just more attention to Georgia. If you want to think of their raw power, it gives them more power, right? But I, what I'd like them to focus on is the money, right? Being an early state brings and then an amount of dollars, economic impact to your state. And so I'm kind of hoping that they're, you know, behind the scenes toying around and seeing if they could get the Republicans uh, to change their plans and move Georgia forward also. Now, if that doesn't happen, and um, the, the the National Party has has given us a uh, Georgia folks a deadline I believe until June which seems a little long so I I might be wrong about that but they have basically given us that long to try to um, uh, convince people to, to go along on the Republican side but uh, again we can't move we can't move our election uh, we the Democrats can't move the election here in Georgia and so um, if the election isn't moved by the Secretary of State obviously it doesn't matter what uh, the National Democratic Party wants, or DNC wants, or Joe Biden wants, the election's going to be whenever, you know, Barack All right. Trump gonna be.
3: All right. Well, you have given me a lot of stuff to think about on this issue, Wendy, and I appreciate you sharing it all with me, and I'm going to turn it back over to you. Know, Wendy, I just had
1: a, a, a one follow-up question on the primary calendar. Um Let's just say the Republicans in most states don't move it, and, of course, there's states like Georgia where the Republicans control the process. and There's other states where they don't, but they don't separate – You know, what are the alternatives? Do the Democrats just get stuck doing whatever the Republicans want, or could they possibly have completely separate calendars, and then that would have some impact on covering the race, uh, how people perceive the race, and everything else?
4: So, I mean, I, I think it depends on the state. Uh, I think there have traditionally been some states where they weren't on the same day, right? Um, and and so that's that's part of what makes presidential campaigns so tricky. Is every state has different rules for how you get on the ballot, and every state has you know a slightly different permutation about the the calendar, you know, the date on the calendar. I'm I'm thinking back to 2019. And because we were getting this new voting system i i I felt like it was the absolute complete last minute before the Secretary of State set Georgia's presidential preference election, and so nobody it didn't matter when he would have put it no everybody had already put their campaigns together with Georgia as a question mark, so we were on nobody's radar screen right so um anyway it it's you know some states have them separate dates. Uh, our state is not going to have them on separate dates. Uh, there are some states where uh, the, the state infrastructure, voting infrastructure, doesn't run the presidential primary. It's up to the, the state parties. Uh, that's what you saw in in Iowa with the caucuses. The Democratic Party ran their Democratic caucus and the Republican Party ran their Republican caucus. Um, it wasn't a, a state voting function, right? So, um, there's a sort of a different permutation in every state um i'm feeling like we're probably going to end up um i mean i hope i'm wrong but i'm I'm feeling that the 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 changes proposed by the the national democrats i I don't know that georgia's going to be able to make that happen Uh, i know michigan will be able to um and so we will see um you know what happens but again to me the the they're all going to be much more closely uh, timed than they have been in the past, not going to be as much sort of space between them. So, so maybe we'll be able to have sort of a, a multiplier effect of looking at all the early states together rather than the first state, you know, starting with 10 candidates and going ahead and that first state winnows it down to three. I um, mean, that's really part of the power of being an early state is frankly how many candidates you knock out of the race.
1: Yes. Well, just fascinating information on so many different topics tonight, Wendy. Before you leave our listeners, if if they want to follow you on social media or read anything or if there's any one thing you gotta promote, now's your chance.
4: All right. So here's my chance. What I really want people to do is not what we did tonight. I won't don't want them to look past twenty twenty three. There are a lot of important uh elections happening in twenty twenty three. In Georgia, we have hundreds of cities and literally thousands of municipal positions that are on the ballot in 2023, and I hope folks will uh, pay attention there. Um, You know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time, right? So we can get ready for 2024 by making sure we are um, continuing to uh, take care of our local issues in 2023 and – Absolutely. Well, Wendy, thanks so much for coming on, and it
1: was a very illuminating conversation.
4: Always a pleasure to be with you, my friends. Y'all have a great rest of your show. Thank you, Thank you, Wendy. Thanks. Bye.
1: Yes, that was Wendy Davis, and now when we talk about the primary calendar, we know we have um, gotten an expert to help us cover it, among other things. I have a feeling we may end up talking about primary calendar more at some point. We may talk about the convention, and, of course, we're going to talk about Georgia politics at some point between 2026. So we've covered all of those things. Now, the next topic I wanted to talk about was this poll that came out late in the week for, I believe, it was the University of North Florida. Um, I'll be honest, I'm not that familiar with uh, North Florida, University of North Florida, other than they do come out with some Florida polls But this is not so much to me a a poll about Florida. It's really a poll about anywhere in the country because this this dynamic has happened, and we've discussed it other places. This poll showed that if the nominee were to be Donald Trump, he defeats um, Joe Biden in Florida. If the nominees Ron DeSantis, he beats Joe Biden. I'm not sure if they tested Nikki Haley, but given the way this poll was running – She probably beats Joe Biden. They also polled a bunch of different issues, and I counted six different issues in which the respondents of this poll that favored by a significant majority Republican candidates for president supported Democrats on reproductive rights, on concealed carry, on DEI, DEI initiatives in Florida education, Um, I want to say there's another one I'm forgetting um, that I just looked up, but it was six separate issues that these folks in Florida, a majority supported the Democratic um, response on the uh, reproductive rights issue. It was really substantial um, how much they they backed the Democratic position. That means – There is, in my opinion – or, like, not my opinion, but if you look at the math, there's got to be people that support all six positions for Democrats and support the Republican nominee in each of these cases. And there's definitely folks that support three and four of the Democratic positions and then still support the Republican nominee. Catherine, I know I sent you this poll. When I showed you that that divide in the numbers, what was your take? Well, you, you
2: know, I uh, I'm always hesitant to look at polls. I, I, I just, you know, what, who did they talk to? What were the how were the questions? You know, all those all those questions. But just looking at it, I wasn't surprised. Um, it's 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 hard to comprehend why people vote for individual people who have values that differ from their own. But it happens all the time. And I think that a lot of it has to do with marketing um, and believing that that I, I don't I, I it's hard for me to put this into language I, like I think they don't believe that either these things can be changed or that changes will happen I think that certainly happened with abortion that uh, people just didn't believe that we, that abortion would be outlawed like it has been And so now that it has, they're, you know, they're against it, against the um, limits on it. Uh, But I don't think they necessarily jump to the conclusion that that's all Republicans, even though it is. I mean, I I just think that people, you know, they've they've been voting for Republicans forever, and they're going to vote for Republicans forever, even though they might not agree with what they're policies are. Well, I
1: have some real strong thoughts, but I'm going to be fair to Tim and let Tim give his thoughts before I, I start you
3: anything. Tim? Well, I think one thing that happens is that voters in this particular case with abortion uh, make the Supreme Court the boogeyman. They don't yeah. blame it on elected Republican officials so much. Uh, although, you know, Trump might get some of the blank. But, see, Trump is not in office now. Uh, so, And it's the Supreme Court that actually made that decision, no matter who appointed them and put them there. And uh, people dismiss it with, well, they lied about how they felt about abortion in order to get on the court and then did it anyway. Uh and so they don't equate that issue with, say, Governor DeSantis uh, in, in a matchup with, with Joe Biden. Uh, the, the the same thing probably would uh, be about um, any gun law. Uh, again, that goes more to a national thing and a governor of a single state might not feel the heat in a way that, you know, they would on a national level. And so there is that disconnect between how they would poll against a member of the opposition party in the presidential race and and what actually happens in their state with regards to these issues. Or that That's the only way I can figure this out because there is a total disconnect. Guys, as you saw in this poll Between how people felt On those issues And then how they planned to vote In next year's presidential race What do you think, David? I would I would love to see the cross tabs On this thing Because here
1: is my supposition Of what this is And it's happened In the the Meet the Press poll That talked about Candidate A And Candidate B And put no labels on it It was the same finding People supported Democrats. We talked to Jeff Smith the other week in Missouri, and he talked about how voters expanded Medicare, uh, Medicaid coverage. Voters had um, raised the minimum wage. So many places in these red Republican states, they agree with us on so many vital issues. You know, Kansas, abortion rights, you know, they voted with us. I think the Democrats have a major branding problem if we looked at the crosstabs. I bet, by and large, these voters were white voters, and I think there's a lot of white voters out there that, uh, that agree with more middle to progressive positions, but yet they want their neighbors, by and large, they think, well, I want to be good people, and good white people vote Republican. And there's an issue there, and, and that's, that's a branding issue, and I don't know the fix. That's the problem. I think I know the problem, but I don't know the fix. And it's been going on for so long now, but it's just more and more evidence and people are like, oh, Florida's gone. This poll ought to show you. Florida's not gone. You've got issues you can run on. Missouri's not gone. Kansas is not gone. There's different ways to attack this with real issues. You just have to figure out the, the secret to where they look at the people. That are the candidates and don't say, "Oh, well, I can't not vote for you
3: and still be good people."
1: Um, does that make any sense, there, y'all?
3: Mm. Some, but but I I, I do want to add one thing that was in this particular poll because I I looked up some more stuff on it uh, yeah. that w- that we didn't see. In a matchup between DeSantis and Trump in Florida, DeSantis beats Trump by 31 points. That governor, even though I can't stomach him, is very, very, very popular in that state. In the eyes of a lot of the voters in that state, he can do no wrong, even when he does something that they don't (laughs) like. If that makes any sense, because I just, you know, there is a massive disconnect between Ron DeSantis and these voter stances on this issue, and the disconnect has to be that they just absolutely love Ron DeSantis in the state of Florida, and that's just that. Yeah. And it, so anybody any, anybody that runs along with him down there, uh, at, for any position in that state, is going to do quite well because they're his, they're his guy or girl. Yeah, and it baffles me because, to me, he's not a very
1: nice individual. He doesn't smile. He's not jovial. I kind of get how Glenn Youngkin in Virginia has snookered some people because he does come off more genteel. Um, You know, he ran more moderately. He focused on, oh, I'm going to repeal the the sales tax off of groceries, something not controversial, something Democrats in Georgia did. Um, But but Ron DeSantis is in your face. Um, So it's a really weird deal. You know, we talked about abortion rights, and and Florida's a state that doesn't restrict them nearly as heavily at this point. But he, Ron DeSantis, just just opposed a six-week, you know – time frame. Yeah. Uh, tell us, how are Floridians that you know reacting to this?
2: Oh, they're very upset about it. It's, um, you know, it's, it's actually harder than the Georgia law because um, in Florida, they have a 24-hour waiting period and you have to be, you have to go into a health center in person and then come back the next day. Whereas in Georgia, we have a 24-hour waiting period, but you can do it over the phone. So your first appointment can be over the phone to, to go through the Georgia regulations, and then you go into the health center for the procedure. So um, that adds an, an extra barrier to Florida, um, to people who need abortion services in Florida, um, yeah I mean, you saw those numbers uh, from the that poll, and those are pretty much standard numbers across the country about sixty five seventy percent of Americans polled believe that abortion should be available and that it shouldn't be uh controlled by the government, that it should be a decision between a pregnant person and their doctor family. Faith, whatever, but not a government, not a, not the government. So, yeah, I, and and like you said, in the past, Florida, you know, they had a. I think they're right now they're at fifteen. No, it was the, yeah, fifteen weeks. I think might be even more than that. So, DeSantis is is pretty horrible. He's also done. You know, he's trying to limit some um, freedom, free speech stuff and um, just – he's a fascist. I mean, hmm. that's what my friends in Florida tell me, or that's how they're reacting. Yeah, I, and and the people on the issues
1: don't agree with it. And that's why, I, I mean, if he was this vessel that was just this likable person with all these – unlikable positions but he's a unlikable person with a bunch of unlikable positions so it is vexing um let's let's kind of move to another figure let's let's make sure we move through some stuff today and um this past week mitch mcconnell had a um an accident where he fell downstairs. stairs he's 81 years old and so that's not uncommon for people of that age and he had to be hospitalized i think it was a multiple day injury id to be hospitalized, and you would think actually you wouldn't think that uh, anybody with any decorum and grace and good sense would send um, negative messages out on social media about his accident, but actually it was Republicans, and I guess the most famous one was um, Jenna Ellis one of the people that was involved in the overturning of the elections through the court systems along with um Rudy Giuliani and others, she sent I like a live video of of um, Mitch McConnell falling down the stairs. It was a turtle falling down the stairs. So she's attacking his appearance, and he's been called a turtle by uh, a lot of folks. I mean, we won't put that one all on Jen Ellis. But the fact that it was talking about his accident, which I would hope that all of us for 81-year-old falls, all we would say is, best wishes on your recovery, hope you can recover as well as you possibly can. But that's not what she does, and that's not what other Republicans do. Tim, why has Mitch McConnell become such a um, lightning rod where they're so negative about their own majority leader who's done so much for them as a party, not Democrats, but Republicans attacking him?
3: Mm. I think mean, one thing that's wrong is uh, is Donald Trump. Of course, uh, he he can't he he can't stand Mitch McConnell, he, even though Mitch McConnell carried more water for him than Gunga Din, as the old saying goes. And 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 McConnell's own wife was in Donald Trump's uh, cabinet, but she committed the grievous sin of quitting, uh, you know, after the January 6th insurrection, and therefore she wasn't sufficiently loyal enough, and she got attacked, too, uh, uh, along with McConnell. And if Trump attacks somebody, then his uh, ardent supporters, uh, they chime in and do the same thing, and y'all both seen that happen all over social media lately uh I mean, making little videos of turtles falling down the stairs and ha, ha, ha. This is no laughing matter. I believe there's something like 800,000 seniors in in this country who are hospitalized because of injuries from falls. It it, it happens a lot. Uh, and, And it's no laughing matter. And and no no one should make make light of the situation. That man's been in the hospital for several days. He's still in the hospital, and and it was a pretty serious injury. And it's not the first time that something like that's happened to him. I think he had a similar incident what three or four years ago, but uh, I it, it's just it, it's the age we live in now. And that's a reflection of people who have been at the very top, uh, and, you know, one in particular.
1: Catherine, uh, Tim mentioned Elaine Chow, Mitch McConnell's wife, was attacked on the basis of race by Donald Trump more than once, and now she suffers these attacks all the time. So Mitch McConnell's had his wife attacked through racist attacks. He's been attacked over and over. He's been attacked now when he's so injured he's in the hospital. At what point are – it? will there be a point that Mitch McConnell kind of says, I've had enough, and he kind of strikes back at these folks and calls them out for their total lack of class and decorum?
2: Oh, I don't think he will. Mm-hmm. I don't think – I mean, mm-hmm. if he hasn't yet <clears> – <throat> After all of these after all the attacks that he's gotten, I just find it really interesting that <clears throat> I mean it's very serious. He fell it's always a concern when um, when people fall um, it's often an indicator of something else, so you know there's something to be concerned about, and we should always show compassion for people who have been hurt. Um, but I think this like uh, pearl clutching. Um, I read a couple of articles about this this week, you know, like concern about the future of the Republican Party and the future of the Senate. I mean, wait a minute before we, you know, box him up and, you know, bury him. He he fell. He's in the hospital. It sounds like he'll he'll be out in a couple of days. He's probably going to be fine. So uh, I don't think we need to quite, you know, call the, you know, hearse yet so um i just think it's interesting how and and it was the same thing with uh fetterman uh a little bit more serious with fetterman but um i just think it's interesting that people feel like they can uh, uh express opinions about someone's health when they know nothing about it um i mean they they've been very quiet about exactly what happened probably cuz they don't know they didn't know at the time but um i just I find it all very um, unpleasant that we're that people seem to need to have their opinions out there about it. Let let them rest. Let him, let you know. Let's find out what's wrong with them if we if it, if if need be, and then you know move on from there. And but this you know cartoons of turtles falling down the steps. I mean that's not even funny.
1: And and certainly not respectful. Yeah, I mean, Jenna Ellis apparently thought it was. And kind of the bigger point, I mean, this has happened multiple times. I I think Mitch McConnell, the way his wife's been attacked, Ted Cruz's wife got attacked by Donald Trump. Um, And these folks just won't stand up. And I think that causes them to lose so much respect in the eyes of the voters not only voters that are supporting them, support the other side, just apolitical, in the middle, whatever, the fact that you won't stand up for your family when they're attacked on a personal level. And I think they would actually gain something politically. And more importantly, they would gain more just within their self-feeling and their Um, the way their family feels about them by standing up for their family. I just am kind of shocked at at how they just value their political standing within the Republican base more than they value their own self-respect. And and it's kind of sad, and I'm ready for one of them to stand up to Donald Trump or others that do this. I think
2: you're jumping to conclusions that they care more about their – in the party than they do about their families it could be that they realize they recognize that tangling with um with donald trump might make it worse and so they just decide to to uh turn the other cheek because you know he can get he can get worse you know he can begin to just pick on them constantly and instead of you know letting it go I'm not saying that that's the right thing. I'm just saying that that, that, is a, that could be a um, decision that people make.
1: I don't know that ignoring a bully has ever really worked. I think sometimes standing up to the bully works. I, I mean, I tell you this. He's picked on Mitt Romney in the same way. I mean, maybe not just Ann Romney, but, you know, he's picked on him for a lot of ways. And he keeps on. But Mitt Romney I think we all have more respect for, and Mitt Romney probably has more respect for himself when he looks in the mirror because he did stand up Donald Trump. He picked on Liz Cheney. She stood up to him. I bet she's got more self-respect when she looked in the mirror. Well, Catherine, a few um, weeks ago we went early for the Super Bowl, but we know you don't care that much about it, but the Oscars is your big night. Before we sign off, is there anything, any predictions, anything you want to say about the Oscars uh, before we close the show out?
2: Too many white dresses <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a wedding <laughs> yeah. it, it, there were a lot of white dresses, and there's no red carpet it's sh- it's a white yeah that looked instead weird. of a red carpet I, I, that, that yeah, I thought weird. that was weird You're like right. what what why no red carpet anyway um i haven't I haven't really seen many of the movies, so I'm looking forward to watching it. It's starting in one minute, so I'm signing off one shortly
1: so so yeah we'll uh we'll close it up and, and Tim and I'll just skip our opinions for tonight to get you out of here. uh next week, Dr. Rachel Wekoffer uh, is going to come on, and we're so excited to her talk to her about strike pack and other things. Thanks again to Wendy uh, for coming on the show again, and until the next week it's been the Kudzu vine. Good night. Good night guys. y'all everybody. We are- Heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world?